Hello and welcome to the new edition of uh, the podcast. You should have been here last week in which myself, Steve Gribbin and fellow comedian Paul Ricketts interview the movers and the shakers, the people behind the scenes and people in front of the scenes uh, on the comedy industry. And this week's guest is a, a wonderful guest, um, the lovely and fantastic performer, uh, Andrew O'Neill. And uh, they've been in the business now, I think, for well over 20 years. And I think they have two comedy clubs, uh, one in Camden, uh, which is called the Troy Club, which has been running for uh, well over a decade. I think it might be nearly two decades. And uh, a new, a relatively new one in Oxford uh, called the Dead Leg Club, which is full of the weird, the wonderful, and uh, the very underused word nowadays, alternative uh, comedy act. So sit back and enjoy the wonderful stylings of Andrew O'Neill. Yes, Andrew O'Neill. I just want to say something before he comes on. <laughs> Our guest today is Andrew O'Neill. And we could talk about your, your fantastic comedy career, your appearances on TV, but no. no. Not even, your, even the music uh, and your steampunk desires. But what we're going to talk about is your promoting today which is, of course, the Troy Club. And, mm-hmm. and I only just found out recently about Dead Leg in Oxford. Yep. Yeah. I've done, I've, I mean, over the years, I've run a few different bits and pieces. But, um, yeah, the one I'm, what I'm currently running uh, is the Troy Club, which is Lon- London's longest-running dedicated alternative comedy night. Um, is it? Wow. Yeah. Beating, beating who? Well, the thing is, there aren't many other ones. So <laughs> there's, there's sort of there's us and there's ACMS and there's you know alternative as in stylistically experimental, um, you know, like because alternative was obviously in the in the, the late seventies. Alternative cabaret was that kind of alternative to the sort of Bernard Manning comedians thing, um, and there was a huge amount of experimentation. And then um, I think Frank Skinner was the game changer. When Frank Skinner came along, he kind of blokified stand-up. And also yeah. Jeff Green. I think Jeff Green deserves huge – he's kind of an unsung hero and influence. That kind of um, relationship-based observational comedy, Jeff Green yeah. – was, I think he was the first person to do that. And now that's that's like the template for what nearly everybody does. He's also um, one of the best people to do it as well. I mean, uh, he's a fantastic comic. Uh, doesn't get, I, I'm absolutely with you, Andrew. He doesn't get enough credit at all. You know? Absolutely. He's, he's, yeah. he's, he's astonishingly good. Um, so, yeah, so with the, well, with the Troy, um, I started comedy in 2002, January 2002. Um, and at my third gig... Um, a bloke, an incredibly charming bloke came up to me and went, you're really funny, come and do my gig. And that person was Mike Belgrave. Um, I don't even know if Mike, is Mike still gigging? No, uh, I think he no, I went, into, went into teaching. Okay. Um, the, op- so Mike... the opposite way from what, what normally happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right, absolutely. Yeah, he became a doctor. Um, <laughs> um, he, um... So Mike... So, that, so my, my first gig was uh, Laughing Horse um, that was then in the Liberties Bar, is now um, um, yeah. Camden, uh, what is it? The, it's the Camden Head now. The Camden Head, yeah. The Camden Head in Camden, not to be confused with the Camden Head in Angel, yeah. which also has a gig, which is just stupid. Uh, so, um, so yeah, my, so my, yeah, my first, first gig was Laughing Horse. Second gig was Downstairs at the King's Head a week later. And my third was in the Purple Turtle in oh, Islington. Yeah, Essex Road. 
Yeah. Yeah, I remember the purple turtle. That gig yeah. that had like you were just next to the door <laughs> and <laughs> and people would just come in and the kids from the estates would you know bang on the window and stuff. Anyway, you know, all these formative gigs. And then I think my fourth gig was possibly the the Troy Club with Mike Belgrave. So the Troy was um it was a a, a proper old school Soho drinking den. Um, and you'd go up two flights of stairs. I think the most we could get in that room was about 25 people. Yeah. At the height, we'd have people sort of literally on the stairs watching. And it was just sort of magical. There was no microphone. I think I think to start with, there wasn't even a light. And there'd be about four people in there because they'd open early for comedy. And it was one of these things where it was the owner's idea. Mike used to drink there. It was the owner's idea. And they and, and so you, you guys know this. So uh, the owner was really enthusiastic. Oh yeah, for a month. That <laughs> <laughs> that has never happened before. <laughs> Unprecedented, right? Um, and um, and you know all the all of the open spots uh, around that sort of scene did did this gig, and it was. Um, and then Mike got quickly disillusioned with it within, I think, about six months, and he offered it to me. So at this point, um, I was uh, working at UCL. But I had a mate, Dickie, who I knew from the hardcore punk scene, and he ran the shops at UCL. There was the one underneath Bloomsbury Theatre, and then there's one just up the road. Um, and he was having, and so I was, I was uh, jobless. So I rang him up and said, um, you know, your shop's being renovated. Do you need any help with that? So, so I ended up doing that job for four years, and it's changed my life in several different ways, which we'll get into because um, the connections are made there. And so I took the Troy Club over, and I did two things. The first thing I did was I decided to make it alternative comedy only so basically kind of weird comedy only which was the first thing i did that pissed any comedians off (laughs) (laughs) um there's there's that thing as soon as you put in a a distinction i want this sort of thing people go but i thought i was alternative (laughs) oh oh no yeah Um, yeah so um but the other thing i did was i i so it was a free gig and i flyered the students so I had this incredible resource. People would come in the shop. I'd have a, I'd have a flyer on the counter, hand-drawn and photocopied. Bit by bit by bit, we started selling out, and we started filling this room. And it was glorious. And we'd have all of the weirdest, maddest acts. Um, and then people like Paul Foote. Yeah. Um, and... I like the fact you know, that so, Paul Foot is the least maddest of the acts that you're going to put on. The, 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 <laughs> there is method in Paul's madness. Yes, there is. You know? <laughs> and there were, I would book people who would just get on and be extremely strange. <laughs> um, there's, there was a madness to that kind of early 2000s open mic circuit because the top end of comedy now is so lucrative. And there are so many models for making money from comedy. Back then, I had no—I basically no idea I'd be able to make a living off comedy. It wasn't my intention. I just wanted to do comedy. It's what you know. There seemed to be such a gulf between what I was doing and and kind of you know, I don't know like Eddie Izzard or whatever. Um, I used to get twenty-five pounds from the bar per week, and that was my that was my income from that. Um, I used to say that there were two reasons why people would overcome the social anxiety of performing comedy. And and so for some it's just the love of it, and for some they don't have the social anxiety. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so you get yeah. all of these wonderful neurodiverse weirdos um, doing stuff that that surely they didn't even think was funny. Hey, Andrew, can you can you name some of the um, 
the work because I'm I'm really into that stuff. You know, like the the Iceman and the Iceman. I actually saw him um, at the tunnel, and people sat there and watched him sit <laughs> on a chair. <laughs> Watching a block of ice melt, and it took fifteen minutes. And people, actually, it's really weird because now, of course, there would be a riot, and people would go boo. Uh, except it was yeah. in the right space, but people just took it because oh yeah, this is great. We'll just um, you know. So, That's so who amazing. who can you name? What what sort of people did you have there? Can you remember any of them? Who was um, Joel Elnor? Oh my Ooh, god. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> now, Joel, Joel Elnor, um, I don't he, know who he is. He was, he is the brother of a oh. woman who used to be on um, Dragon's Den. Yeah. She was the woman who came up with um, Red Letter Days. Yeah. So she was an entrepreneur. He, and this, like, there's, there's, there's a watershed in comedy. There's pre. Um, <coughs> autism awareness and there's post autism awareness, right? John must be <coughs> autistic, but he and I, and I booked him and I sort of said, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I think people laugh at you. Oh, okay. And I said, if you're happy being booked on the basis that I think you're funny, but I don't think you know why. Because <laughs> 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 I thought he was really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a typical Joel Elnor joke would be. Celebrity, get me out of here. Or more like, celebrity, get me in here. <laughs> <laughs> and and then you get this like like a pause, and then a massive laugh. Um, and he he would he would do sort of topical stuff. It was kind of hilarious. He did a show. He did a, an hour long show at the Fringe, and it kind of became a sort of um, a bit of a, a cult classic. Um, I think there may have been some bullying involved if people go back. <laughs> But then he then he sort of um, he started uh, he adopted like a female persona. There's a big there's a big link between autism and and um, gender dysphoria, and so he sort of he he would just turn up in a sort of female persona, um, and yeah, he was sort of kind of almost magically strange, um, and I think he you know I think his sort of his rich sister kind of looked after him and yeah, and what's and, happened to him? He stopped doing it. Um, I don't know why. I ran a club was a little bit after you started booking the same sort of acts. Yeah, right. For exactly the same sort of reason. <laughs> <laughs> Just the madness, bringing in the madness. Yeah. yeah. So I was going to run a few <clears throat> past you, which I, I booked and you might have booked. Yes, please. Uh, there was a bloke called Brian Nylon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, this is like, do you know what this is like? This is the equivalent for us. Of those, like I love the seventies shows. A, <laughs> there, there are neural networks in the back of our brains that have been gathering dust that are lighting up for the first time since two thousand and four. <laughs> yeah, oh, right, God. nylon. Yes, absolutely. Right, yeah. What was his act? His act was he'd, he'd come on. He's from Manchester, and he'd have uh, tights on his legs, and he had the really, <laughs> really bad varicose veins in one leg, so his leg was misshapen. But he'd also come on with uh, with the pair of tights over his head. <laughs> and uh, he'd come on stage and he'd open this little briefcase, take out his shrunken head, hold it up, <laughs> hold it up to the audience and go, I never did it. I never did it. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. He was stunning. 
Oh, God. I'm, so, I'm so so terrible with names. There was a, there was another. There was a, an act from um, from Manchester. It was a double act. I can't remember what they were fucking called. Should have written some of this down before I started. Um, and they um, the, the Mike Oldfield song Portsmouth. They would play that um, um, while playing a uh, <laughs> while blowing through a, a glittery a glittery paper tube, um, and and it was absolutely hilarious and i've since asked can i use that song in something because it's it's a perfect song for me something like that um uh, well one of them was richard swan richard swan would um he'd do a joke so his whole it is really deadpan and really monotone some of the best jokes i've ever heard i used to work in a car park when there was a fire drill, we had to assemble where we already were. <laughs> <laughs> and then he'd raise his arm and go, ah, <laughs> in between each joke, right? Um, and this just this sort of absolute wonderful, wonderful. I mean, Anthony Miller, um, uh, who, you know, again, um, autism awareness is, is, makes the world a kind of place. Um uh, Auntie used to do kind of poems and stuff. Um, there was Sean Ridgway. Um, he would do, he he was a sort of poet. Just basically anyone who kind of, I mean, Alexis Jubas, this was interesting because Alexis was early on, Alexis hadn't found his voice and he would try all these different sorts of things. He came in as a Mexican once and it's really interesting watching him try these different things he did. And he, he had jokes that just never really worked. So we'd say the name of his town, you know, and I've, and I, and so I came came to London where the streets are paved, and it wouldn't get a laugh. <laughs> but when he does, but when he does Marcel Lucon, yeah. where the streets are paved, it suddenly that thing of like yeah. the punchline is that he hasn't finished the sentence that elevates it. To me, there's something really punk, and I talk about this at Dead Leg actually. There's something really, really punk about anyone can get up and try something. They've got this space. They've got this five minutes. You can get up and you can try something. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. Mm. But they're expressing something of themselves. Yeah. And and that that playground and that sand pit and that kind of um, room for experimentation, I think, has has, has largely lost. lost uh, yeah. You know, it's largely moved away yeah, from, yeah. The, from the open mic yeah. circuit because people have their eye on the prize. I mean, you know, this is this is classic veteran comic moaning, but... You know, open spot comics don't stay and watch the headliner anymore no. because they've seen so, they've got access to so much comedy online. They don't think they need to, which perhaps they don't. But also there are people who headline club gigs that you don't get to see on TV or on Netflix specials, you know. So, yeah, it was it was it was absolutely gorgeous. And then but then we started hitting issues where the grumpy Polish guy who would open up for us would get there later and later, later and later and later and later and later. And um, so we would end up with a queue of 30 people outside the door. And sometimes he just wouldn't turn up <laughs> every now and then. <laughs> and I didn't have a mobile phone at the time. I was I was against mobile phones. I didn't have a mobile. I ended up having to get one uh, to run this gig properly. But at this point, so he couldn't call me and tell me he was late. So we were just there waiting. And we ended up, sometimes we'd have to do it down. So there was a there was a, a Spanish restaurant, like a tapas restaurant downstairs. Yeah. Occasionally we go, can we just come in and do it here? So we do that. In fact, the first ever one was there. I'm trying to remember who was on. It was... Um, who was that Canadian guy, Alex? Alex oh, Lazarev. Lazarev. I used to play poker with him because, right. for a comedian, <laughs> he had absolutely no sense of humour. 
Uh, oh, absolutely. absolutely. And I'd wait until I got a hand, and then I'd say things to him like, uh, how'd it go tonight then, Alex? And he'd be really <laughs> great. Didn't go that great. Didn't go that great. What, did you die? Did you Did you die? And then next thing you know, he'd be paying anything to see my hand. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's perfect. He, he had, yeah, no no sort of sense he did, he had this really mad thing where he go oh the thing is you english people mm. you say thing you say things like um it's people like you what cause unrest and i was like no that's a character in a monty python sketch <laughs> <laughs> that's where he's got it from from the from the you know from the um the bee license the fish license sketch yeah um yeah. i would like to a fish license you know, uh, and it's people like you. What cause unrest? And it's you know, it's the same, it's the same character that's in the parrot shop sketch. It's that 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 John Cleese character. And I was like, but you've you've what you've done is you've taken something from a Monty Python sketch and you've used that as observational comedy <laughs> to tell British people what they're like. So his parents were millionaires, and yeah. they both I think they both died in like a plane crash or something, mm. and then he spunked his inheritance on you know like fast cars and coke and girls um and then he came he wanted to be a comic so we would come over but without a visa so then he'd come so then he'd get deported then he'd come back through ireland he was a, an intense guy and mm. then he having got nowhere in comedy he then yeah he 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 became um like one of those like dating gurus um that that propose uh also you know uh encourage things like negging mm. so you you tell a beautiful oh, yeah. woman that she's an idiot and she's got shit shoes and she falls in love with you yeah the so rules he, yeah and <laughs> he's exactly, like yeah he's he so he does all these youtube videos and he's got yeah he's, he's, he's you kind of go yeah that suits you better <laughs> um yeah. a misog you know like um, a, a guru of misogyny <laughs> That because I actually, I actually, he was the first person I said, I'm not going to book you again because I think your stuff's, um, I think it's sexist. And he's, he had, you know, stuff about lesbians and stuff. And I thought it was sexist. And I thought it was, there's a lot of comedy that kind of diminishes, um, lesbian identity. Um, you know, why, why wasn't I there? Because they're lesbians, you know. Mm. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I don't, and, and he, you know, you got that with me. There you go. People get that with me quite a bit. Um, so then we, so then, so we got to the point where basically this guy was turning up later and later, and we ended up doing the show outside. And we ended up, and 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 I thought we need to move on from this. So this this would have been a couple of years, and we had a, you know an awful lot of people came through that door, and it was it was really magical, and it was a really you know like my my probably the happiest I've ever been was when I quit my my next day job. So my, the last day job I had was working at the Cabinet War Rooms and Churchill Museum, um, and I quit that job. And I didn't really have anywhere to live and I didn't really have any, I wasn't making money off comedy, but I didn't want to sell the hours of my day. That was this thing. that was this kind of anarchist situation, situationist notion that, that my life is finite. And I had, I had so little money. It'd be like, can I, at the end of, you know, after a year, can I afford um, some instant noodles and a can of beer? And that's like a good night. And and I don't think I've been as happy since of just doing as many gigs as I can do, like completely dedicate myself to comedy. Um, and then we moved to Turnmills, the super club in Clerkenwell. Oh, my, oh my God. God. 
I never, I never knew you were there. Turn mills. I once did one of the worst gigs of my life there. Not, not during that club, but it was a, it was one of those classic uh, comedy should never be in a nightclub gigs, you know. And yeah. everybody died. The sound was terrible. The audience was just chucking. Th- oh, I'm getting PTSD just thinking about it. <laughs> horrible. Well, I, yeah. the, something came out of the Troy Club. So um, there were these two, these two um, women that, that. So m- most of my audience were students at UCL. Um, and so yeah, it's a smart audience. And um, these two women used to come. They, they, they would come every week to the to the Troy, and they said, "We really, we really love what you do. We're having um, a party for the Slovakian Society. Um, <laughs> it was at LSE. Um, do you remember the Chuckle Club at the LSE? Right? Yeah, yeah. A, I yeah, do. Um, yeah, gorgeous, yeah, yeah. gorgeous Fantastic. gig. Right. So I'm thinking, oh, it'd be like, like that. <laughs> oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> um, so this the fee was a hundred pounds, and this was that was seventy pound more than I could imagine being. You know, I think I used to get thirty quid occasionally from Roddy Fraser. We'll talk about Roddy in a bit. Um, and um, and so I did this gig. Now bear in mind with inflation, that's that's. That's actually probably what I'm getting paid now. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. We really like your comedy. Come and do this. This uh, We're having, like, you know, a, a party for the Slovakian Society. We'd love you to come and do comedy. It'll be £100. Superb. So I get to this room in LSE. And so the lighting is um, just, you know, kind of like dim green flashy lights, right? So no, so you can't see anyone's facial expression. The room is just the bar in the student union. It's vast i mean i'll probably go back and it was probably the size of this room but it seemed like a bar it's a barn will never fill it right it was not exclusively the slovakian society by any means that was about 10 people on one table so there would have been about 100 people uh, and it was a pound a pint night oh my god so so They've just hijacked, you, you know, the classic thing, you know, you hate it when you go for a night out and someone builds a comedy club around you, you know, mm. that's sort of, that's what had happened. And <laughs> this bloke went up and said, um, right, okay, so it's the Slovakian Society, uh, Christmas do, whatever it was. Uh, I'm going to do the raffle now. H- hello. And just like, he's getting nowhere with her. Right. So number, so it's green, 33 green. Hello, anyone green? So, right, we'll come back to that one. So, the, like, so the raffle is dying. <laughs> yeah, you know, boo! Right, the raffle, the raffle got its first short review that day as well. It's a nightmare, right? So the, the raffle finally got its fucking adjective in time out, right? Yeah. Um, so, so the raffle dies on its ass. He then goes, and now it's comedy, Andrew O'Neill. <laughs> so I walk on this stage, and I went right, and I've. I'm surprised this early on in my career I had the presence of mind to do this. But I said, hello, I'm about to do 20 minutes of stand-up comedy. If you do not, if you're not interested, please turn your back on me now. So some people turn their back on me. I start doing my my skits and my routines and to just nothing, to just nothing, right? Nothing. A couple of people over here are laughing, right? But it's it's horrible. And, I'm, and I just kept going, I'm going to do 20 minutes. People started heckling me. And then a guy got a chair. He pulled it up in front of the stage and he had a sleeve of plastic pint pots and he started throwing them at me one by one. (laughs) And I went, I've still got five minutes. (laughs) I ended up doing my set, kicking the pint pots (laughs) like back into the crowd and just kind of going, you know, these guys, I've got five. And I did my 20 minutes and it was just, and I was like, well, that was, 
you know, that went as well as it could have done. <laughs> and then, like, you know when things, if you wrote this, it would be unrealistic. You go, that's a step too far. He was at the bar drinking a pint, and I went up to him, and he's wearing a beanie, and I just pulled his hat off. And he turned around and threw his pint over me. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah. Um, so I went home with 100 quid uh, and felt like a professional. Um, so the one at Turnmills, it was exactly that same situation where they said, great, we'll give you a budget um, and we'll put posters everywhere and we'll promote it. We get thousands of people through the door. And then, you know, we did it. I maybe did it for a few months and it just... It was just one of those things where you just go, right, there's no, there's no, I, it's a shit location. There's no passing yeah. trade. It's the wrong time of day. It's the wrong day of the week. We're not getting anything from these clubs. The few people who are in there aren't really interested. Um, <clears throat> so then we needed a new home. So the first ever Troy club that I ran was on the 10th of September, 2002. Wow. Mike, Mike Belgrave, um, Stephen Carlin. I mean, this is before my uh, weirdos only policy. And I think this might be after because... Anthony Miller, Phil Klein, Phil Zimmerman. Ah! For listeners at home, Phil would um, he cut, he Phil looked like a bird, and he would come and go pigeons, 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 pigeons in my love, and he and he had a like really funny. You want to cut <laughs> really? That's, he's in and out, in and out. They don't even <laughs> notice. In and out. <laughs> But that's that, like, absolutely <laughs> kind of, that absolute, like, uh, like, that's, that's like a raw, he hasn't sat down and thought, if I do that, it'll be funny. No. That's just emerged from him. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dizzy High, Dizzy's oh, still doing yeah. gigs, I think. Yeah. And, and look, let all, all, all hail and all bow down to the absolute legend that is Jimbo. Yes. Oh. I was going to mention Jimbo because yes. he has to be in there. He, yeah. Again, I mean, you know, I, do, do, do you remember that point where when Jimbo's wife died and then yeah. it looked like he regenerated? <laughs> like he, Doctor Who. Yeah. yeah. No, because he, like, literally, because his, his wife died and for somehow he came into money. I don't know if she had life insurance or something. And he dyed his hair silver, yeah. bought a flashy suit and kind of pointy, shiny shoes. And he used to wear just like a jumper, didn't he? Um, yeah. But, you know, again, Jimbo had like a sort of like a verbal tick of kind of shout laughing at his own jokes. And, and he would, I don't think I ever saw him do the same thing twice. No, no I never have. I, I've gigged with him recently. Right. Uh, from, well, I'll say this to the listeners. So we're talking about a, a legend of the comedy circuit. Cause he's, ne you never would have heard of him because he's never made it. He's been an open spot for something like 40, 40, or could even be 50 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was definitely going in the uh, mid-80s. I remember him from then, yeah. Paul, have you got that amazing story about him when he, he cycled to the gig in the snow? No, he hit Is that you? Yeah. yeah he go on, you, you tell this story, it's great. I, I had to check with Jimbo that this was true, and it turns out it's absolutely true. <laughs> right. So there's a comedy competition in Manchester, and... Um, he thinks, well, I'll go for that, I'll go for that. And uh, he hitchhikes all the way to Manchester. In a snowstorm. In a snowstorm. <laughs> yeah. So, unbeknownst to him, the gig gets cancelled because all the acts 
from the northwest said, "Oh, we can't travel in in this snowstorm." storm. <laughs> and the promoter is trying to phone him, but he hasn't got oh, a phone. God. And so he's going, "Oh my god, I'll have to go. I'll have to go to the venue and wait for oh, this wow. bloke to turn up." <laughs> Jimbo turns up at the venue. He makes it. And uh, the bloke goes, oh, God, I can't believe you've made it. You've come all the way here from London. Go, yeah, yeah I've hitchhiked. Oh, that's... Well, I'll... he said, look, there's a £100 prize and a little trophy. I'm just going to give it to you. I'm just... Amazing. <laughs> just for just doing what you've done. A local accident made it. You've made it. <laughs> and Jimbo goes, well, can I just do be set in front of you now? <laughs> Does his oh, set? Wow. Does his set? The bloke goes, "Give me that money and the trophy back." That <laughs> <laughs> uh, is absolutely fucking. <laughs> Sorry, you're not having that. Give it. Come here. Get off. And that. And that <laughs> is who I booked for the Troy Club. <laughs> um, Paul Shuff. Do you remember him? No. He used no. to do material about being bitten by a radioactive cathedral. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was wonderful. Uh, Jem Brooks. <laughs> oh. Hey, good stuff. Um, Jem Brooks, he gave up being a vet to do stand-up. And occasionally, wow. while having a very hard gig, which you know, happened a lot, there was a look in his eye of... I gave up comedy. <laughs> I gave up being meant to do this. <laughs> Me and Stephen Carlin do an impression because <laughs> God stuff. He's got sort of like this tragic figure with this kind of chirpy exterior, like this false chirpy exterior. He was quite a, and a very red face. Um, yeah. Well, that's due to the drinking. Before I even did comedy, because I used to drink in certain places. Yeah, I meet comics, and he was the yeah. first one I met. And I thought, my God, you're the saddest person in here. And I said, what do you do? I'm a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like you, a ghost of Christmas future, wasn't he? <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you tell him that he, he, he looks sad, he should go and see the comedian Jim Brooks? <laughs> <laughs> um, Roddy Fraser, now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're going to talk about him, weren't you? Roddy Fraser used to run comedy upstairs at the bathhouse. The bathhouse was the next location for the Troy Club. Um, So uh, uh, so this is on Dean Street. Um, It was knocked down for Crossrail. Mm. Roddy Fraser was a very angry Scotsman. Um, Canadian. Canadian Scotsman. Was he Canadian Scotsman? Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you talk to the Canadian comics, he was doing comedy. He started in Canada first. I didn't know that. Wow. And he, you know, and occasionally he would have some really good gigs, and occasionally he wouldn't, and then he would shout at the audience to tell them they're wrong. <laughs> uh, there was a guy that used to come down to the tunnel all the time. I think I've told Paul about this, and uh, he was a black guy, and he used to a bit. He was like a Jamaican guy, and he used to do these poems. And one of the poems that he used to, do, but he used to come on, and all he would was wearing was like a loincloth, and he would be <laughs> carrying a spear. Right? <laughs> oh my god. And he had a poem called There's an Uprising Down Below. And as he said <laughs> As he said it, he started to get an erection. Oh my god. It's just it's one of the weirdest but he never he was down there nearly every week and he used to get booed off every single week. As soon as he said there's an uprising down below and then looked at his loincloth and it's just was doing this. 
Just on demand. Just. I don't know. How the hell did he did it? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but it, it's. And we could talk about this as one of the things. I mean, you did mention it, the homogenization of uh, of comedy, because in the early days, the, a lot of the circuit was like this. Like in the early 80s yeah. when I started, yeah, yeah. it was all a complete mixture of poets. Uh, there was literally, I mean, Cast New Variety used to have some weird people on. Um, and it was all mixed together, you know, special acts, as they used to call Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. And, and, I mean, Mark Steele's got a brilliant bit in, in that book, and he said, and to add to your thing of why people do comedy, he said that people do it because they love it, but also there's some people who do it because they have to do it. Yes. There's no other outlet for what's inside their heads, and it has to, you know, it has to be on the stage. Yeah, And yeah. where I think you, you're, you're dead right, it started to change when it, it became uh, when when money got involved, basically as well. Yeah. So people would lose patience uh, if you had like three acts and the compere, and if they didn't like one act, then they start get a bit pissy because they spent they spent two quid, <laughs> and then so those those acts got filtered out. But it seems to me that what you're doing with the Troy Club is is trying to recapture that spirit and, yeah. and doing it, you know, really successfully. And also, I mean, you know, I, I've, I've gigged a lot with Norman Lover. I, I toured with him. Um, and Norman talks about how, you know, the comedy store moved twice, basically. Yeah. Um, and with each move, they they got rid of the weirdest acts. Mm. Yeah. And and you could just see, you know, and, and the way it their booking policy just doesn't fucking relate to what they, what they bang on about <laughs> when they talk about the legacy of the comedy store. Um, you know, the, like this really interesting. And that thing of... of People, what people are doing on stage is an expression of something that's directly part of them. Uh, so we, we moved to the bathhouse and we had some really good gigs. And then, and then I started booking people like Simon Munnery um, and yeah. uh, and Russell started. Russell Brand started doing that one, um, and uh, I got Stuart Lee because uh, that was when Stuart started coming back. And so this wonderful, wonderful thing where I went from booking, you know, and, but also booking all these other people. Um, and, and I started being able to do previous lineups include, then we moved to the crowbar. Um, so the, uh, owners of the crowbar said, um, yeah, we, well, we, we hear you do comedy. We don't normally open on a Sunday. Do you want to come and do Sundays with us? It was a really nice period where there were a load of people that we could get for the money. Um, and, and metalheads and you know and we could do some really dark material because the metalheads enjoyed that and then occasionally a metal band who'd done a show around the corner would come in so at one point neurosis walked in and i was like fuck <laughs> neurosis are at the back of my gig that's incredible but again with the with the, the annoying thing with the, the the crowbar was there's two owners one's into the idea one isn't into the idea and the one who wasn't into the idea was the one who was running it on on that day. So it's Steve and Rich, right? And Rich was Rich was really friendly, and Steve was he he was one of those people like he because he ran a really cool bar that all you know touring bands would would come and drink in. He was like the center of attention, and he had that kind of social credit. Yeah. So that so that this is really frustrating thing where so the, the other thing with the crowbar late night bar if you're a regular you get in for free. They just mm. nod you in, and, and it, it, they formalised it eventually with a. Because I've still got my my crowbar card over there, and um, but but you know you just get the nod from the security guy because he knows who you are, right? Then the security guys would change, and it would take a few weeks for you to be nodded through again. I said to Steve, "So we're going to charge? You know, it's like a fiver. We're going to charge on the door. Can you give me a list of people who get in for free?" And he said, "Just the people who work here. You know all them and my girlfriend." And I said, "Are you sure?" 
because people are going to expect to get in for free. Because anyway, no, no, honestly. Ju- so day one, Stevie's on the door. Someone comes in and goes, oh, well, we're just here for a drink. Oh, it's comedy tonight. No, I'm just here for a drink. Yeah, but it's five pound in. Uh, Steve. And she goes, oh, yeah, they can come in. And so, oh, God. so, and how undermining is that, right? So, <laughs> so, and the crowbar was a, um, it, it's like a really long, thin bar and then like an opened up room at the end. And we were at the end. Mm. What ended up happening is you'd have about 10, 15, 20 people at the bar who weren't there for the comedy, who'd got in because they know Steve talking really, really loudly, would not be shushed and then trying to do comedy at the front. So, you know, unless it was really packed at the front, it just stopped, it just stopped working and you just go, right. So yeah, so that was, that was the crowbar. And, um, you know, we had some really, really good nights there. You know, we had some names in and that sort of thing. And, um, and then we moved to Aces Nights in, um, uh, in, uh, Tuffle London. Park. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I live, I used to live just around the corner from there. We were there for a good few years. Um, and now we are um, back in what feels much more like a spiritual home uh, at the Black Heart in Camden. We've done we've actually just moved. We've done one. We did one last year, last month, sorry, um, and we're doing one again uh, this week. Um, and the Black Heart is a metal bar in Camden. It's got a perfect performance space. You know, it's a band room. Um, we have a proper tech, and you know, and and yeah, and, and I'm still booking. So Sammy Abu Warder is uh, headlining, and he is um, he's Bedouin. He's a he's a and he's a he's a clown, and he's incredibly funny, like proper you know, um, proper gut bustingly funny, um, and I now run it with um, my friend Leslie Ewing Burgess, who's a Canadian comic, um, another mm-hmm. kind of weirdo outsider artist. So so yeah, for the last few years we've been running it together. I mean, um, how do you how do you find the act? I mean, do you go out and seek the acts, or do you let people come to you? How are you sort of, you know, like a, a a football scout, as it were? Do you see people and think, wow, they'd be absolutely perfect for the club? If I see anyone, well, I mean, partly because I also run this dead, I run dead leg in in Oxford. Oh yeah. Um, so so for a while I was so I was running. I ran that in Camden for a bit, and the idea, what I wanted actually, what I and what I've completely failed to get is I wanted a rowdy gig. So I tell the audience, if you don't like it, you can heckle, and they just don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I tell them that amazing, that amazing heckle from the Tunnel Club, which is, you know, a bloke goes up and goes, his open line is, I'm schizophrenic. And the bloke shouts out, you can both fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but so, so basically if anyone, if anyone is, is weird enough to do the Troy, I just go, right. Yeah. And, you know, and good enough as well. Um, then, yeah. So, I, I mean, we book between six and 10 acts a week at dead leg. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so I just do it like that. And then, you know, and, and, you know, Stuart Lee's going to do it in September. So I'm still booking, you know, I'm still trying to still kind of getting some of those names. Um, and yeah, just anyone who, for me, anyone who has that alternative spirit, you know, and sometimes there are people who are stylistically quite straightforward, but they're weird, <laughs> they're, you know, um, and, and yeah, just anyone who, and, you know, I'm sure you guys are the same. We've been doing this a long time. It's not easy to make a comedian laugh. No, no. <laughs> and you can, and I can, I can be watching an act, and I, th- I can think they're great, and I'm just going, mm-hmm, "Yep, oh, you've done that," and you know, that's there's a thing. And then also, you know, people can be storming with material. You kind of go, "Surely, yeah. you know, my dad mm. could have come up with that joke." You know, yeah, yeah. But it's when people, it's when people do something unexpected or. You know, it's that thing that kind of comes from the heart, like with these acts who they could not do it and they, they couldn't express themselves in any, any other way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it's, yeah, we've been running since 2002. 
so I do a weekly gig now here called Dead Leg Comedy, and it's ah, oh, it's my favourite part of the week. So we are a house band. So me uh, on guitar, Nate Kitch on drums, Jamie Michaela uh, on bass, and a guy called um, Vincent Lynch who also. Uh, plays bass for songs that Jamie can't play because she's just learning. And we do a few songs at the top. We've now got a repertoire of 30 songs. We do a few songs at the top, a cover, and then IMC, a couple of acts, and then we have the open spot section. Everyone mm. does five minutes, and we stay on stage. And we will interject, and we will add jokes, and sometimes we, if someone's doing something rhythmic, we'll just start playing quietly underneath. Um, <laughs> but at, so we play them on, and we play them off. And sometimes we use uh, Rumble by Link Ray. Sometimes mm. we use Shaken All Over, Johnny Kid and the Pirates. So you, you know, so please welcome to the stage. Blah blah blah. <laughs> 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 and it's yeah. and then and then after the show, after the, the comedy's finished, so and then we have like a, a headline act or whatever else, and then we just have a jam. It's just incredibly good fun. Mm. And um, an actor was on last week was just like, if there's a heaven, it's this gig. We're like, fuck, okay. We didn't know it was that good. Um, wow. And, yeah. and it's free. Um, it's free. And, then, and we do a collection. So it's in a brewery. So the ta- it's called the Tap Social. And it's in West Oxford. Um, and so it's a brewery bar. They put a curtain in the middle. And there's a, there's a decent, there's a good stage. Um, and... And yeah, we're 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 slowly building. I reckon I reckon it takes two years to build a comedy club. So what's the what's the audience like? Is there a difference between your Varied. audience in Camden and the one in Oxford? Yeah, the Troy the Troy Club is a dedicated comedy audience, and they're like you know a lot of them are sort of people who've been fans of mine, and then they find the gig, and then they you know um, it's a proper. Whereas it's I mean you know we had about thirty in last night, I think um, students. There was a couple of mums, you know, just on there. Like this, like there was a mum who was, it was her first night out after, after you know, giving birth. So a six-month-old kid, and it's her first proper night out. They loved it. And they were like, we didn't think it would be this good. And the idea, the thing is, the kind of production values of having a band on stage. And yeah. particularly having a drum kit. Yeah. Like particularly having live drums and people just go, this is really cool, you know. And... um um so there it's varied and and i i love the idea of encouraging a, a sort of rowdy gig um but it's oxford so <laughs> really <laughs> polite um and um and we've got like good support from the finally really good support from the venue <laughs> which we also have at the black heart you know black heart yeah. were, black heart were, were um uh trying to get the troy club for for ages so yeah, so I feel you know we're, we're we're in a good place, and then yeah, and then that gig feeds into into the Troy Club. So yeah, it's a nice little ecosystem. So the policy with with the Troy Club is we 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 aim for diversity. We aim to have at least a non one non white act and at least at least one woman, in addition to Leslie and me being non binary. Um, and there's an interesting thing I think um, with people of color and experimental comedy. And I've I've spoken to a bunch of acts about this over the years. And there are very few um, uh, people, ethnic minority acts, who do experimental comedy. Mm. And a few people have have sort of said to me, well, you know, there can be an element of... um, Well, but, you know, if 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 you're anticipating people being against you because people are fucking racist right and it's you know and it, we live in quite a racist fucking country if you're also then stylistically weird you've got two things to kind of overcome and when i like when i um 
my gender stuff was something I kept. I didn't, I used to consider it cross-dressing. I didn't cross-dress on stage for a couple of years because I didn't want that to be something I had to kind of get past. I mean, no one gives a shit about gender anymore. I could do a set with, I could do a set in a dress and not even mention it and it doesn't matter anymore. But um, it's quite difficult programming the Troy with people, particularly headliners, partly because anyone, like anyone who's, who's good enough and is a person of color and is, is, is weird tend to, launch into you know beyond our budget you know it's it's an interesting thing but but with with um uh with dead leg my policy is i book everyone in the order in which they email me Mm. and then diversity (laughs) diversity just takes care of itself i do comedy for a living that's an absolute privilege. What an incredible life. Because that's nice upbeat for this. I'm going to just tack the end on and say uh, thank you for speaking to us. And um, thank you very much for having me. What a delight. Thank you. So that was Andrew O'Neill, who was discussing some very weird and uh, much missed weirdo acts that used to grace the circuit, which none of you will probably have any memory of. No. And, and I hope people are intrigued to look up uh, people like the Brixton Bank Manager. <laughs> Yeah. Although I don't know whether there'll be any record of him anywhere. There might be. I don't know. I'll explain why there's been such a gap between this and the last uh, podcast stroke video YouTube offering. And that's because illness. Uh, I think you were ill to begin with. And then I talked to you I was, by yeah. being iller. Yeah, I, I only had I only had the common or garden flu for about a week. But you, you had a severe chest infection, uh took a bit of time out and as soon as that happens of course you get behind but we'll be back to our fortnightly schedule in future so as we always say if you've enjoyed this particular offering please tell all your friends like subscribe or all the stuff you're supposed to do share um anything else I always say this every time because I can't remember um, all the things I'm supposed no, to share, say. subscribe, like they're the three, uh, the three w- ones that go share, subscribe, like. What's we'll yeah. it into a little rap? Uh, I can't think thumbs of anything up. Else. Uh, thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs up. Yeah, and also you know that thing about telling your friends and spreading it by word of mouth is a good one as well. You know, if you yeah. if you like, <laughs> I don't even think you have to stick to word of mouth. You could send an email. You could even yeah. use semaphore. I don't particularly care. Yeah. What about scrawling it on the outside of somebody's house? Well, tattoos. That's I'm wanting something. Tattoo. That's a good one. Yeah, on the face. <laughs> How about one of those planes that flies over football grounds? Oh, what with the little sign behind? Well, I love you, Terry. Uh, don't forget to listen to the podcast. You should have been here last week. So we'll be back in two weeks' time. And so, whatever you're doing in the next fortnight, enjoy it. And then we'll see you later on at the next one. Goodbye. Bye. This show is part of Podomity, the podcast comedy network. We're the best kept secret on Acast. Why not laugh at what else we've got? Check out podomity.com now.